0: Welcome to a very special episode uh, on My Talk 1071. This is a My Talk roundtable. Uh, typically, you'd be hearing just us, Colleen and Bradley, at this, at this time. But often, when uh, the entertainment news of our day intersects with uh, an issue that we'd like to take a deeper dive in, we do that by having a roundtable discussion. And so, here's what this is this is a two hour discussion specifically about the suicide epidemic uh, and we are including experts who we will introduce in, in just a moment we will also feature your questions so if you do have questions that you'd like to ask of our panelists there's a number of different ways that, that you can uh, engage and ask your questions. Do you, want yep, you can do it everybody? by
1: Twitter, of course, email, Facebook. Uh, you can even call us at 651 641 1071. There are a number of ways throughout today's uh, roundtable that you can interact with us, and we'll try to get to as many of those. Questions um, as we can, but it's important to also let you know that there will be resources available to you on our website. Should we not get around to answering your question?
0: Absolutely. Now uh, you may ask yourself, why this conversation? Why right now? Well, um, you know we have we have spent the last couple months. Uh, covering stories of celebrities who have died by suicide, starting um, very specifically with Avicii, the well-known DJ. Uh, that was about a month ago, uh, and then followed by last week, back to back, we learned of uh, Kate Spade's passing, um, and uh, we have heard you know various things after that news came down early last week. And as we were kind of still dealing with the information around this very successful uh, handbag designer who uh, had an incredibly, incredibly well-regarded life uh, as a famous designer and still also digesting the news of Avicii, who had had a very successful music career, on uh, Friday, we learned the news that Anthony Bourdain, uh, who, among many other things, was a, a TV host, a chef, a writer, um, just a brilliant speaker, also took his own life. We learned that on Friday. And, uh, and at the same time that those things happened last week, we also learned that some uh, new statistics from the Center for Disease Control. And Bradley, you have really poured over some of those statistics that came out in a report last week.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of uh, statistics that I could just throw at you, but just to give you sort of a uh, general picture, and we'll maybe dive into some of these numbers and statistics and why they are the way they are and how we can tackle some of those issues later in the show. But to begin with, um, and you referenced that CDC Report: We know that suicide rates are uh, rising across the United States and have for the last 20 some years. In fact, um, it it truly is a public health crisis. Now, I have some numbers that I can give you on. And I I already said about a 25 percent rise in the national suicide rate from 1999. And that climbs across age and ethnic groups. Um, I will say that the highest U.S. suicide rate was among uh, white males, the second among um, Native Americans and Alaska Natives. Now, I looked a, a little bit at our own rates here in Minnesota, and since 1999, again, this is all from the CDC, there has been a 40.6% increase in the state of Minnesota in suicide rates. So that's a an alarming number, to be sure, just on the face of it.
0: It absolutely is. and And, you know, when we talk about the face of it, Uh, one of the things that these celebrity suicides have brought to the to the attention of everybody and have uh, has been part of the conversation is the awareness and understanding that um, you can have all the money in the world you can have all of the perceived success in the world you can have uh, uh, the life that many people are vying for and still feel the pain uh, so deeply uh, and and suicide can can happen uh, and so with that awareness and with the understanding of these new statistics, uh, that's why we came to this table to have this conversation. And we want to have a very open conversation. And as we mentioned earlier, we do want you to be involved over email, over Facebook, over Instagram, over Twitter, uh, uh, and by phone, 651 But now let's in, let's introduce the experts, the panelists that we have brought to join us today. First, let's uh, introduce Jim Keenan. Jim Keenan, uh, thank you so much for making yourself available by phone today. Hi, Jim. Hi, how you doing? Good. Jim Keenan is a, a, our mental health professional. He is uh, with POR, Emotional Wellness, and he's here to kind of bring a clinical perspective and, and understanding kind of how he interfaces in a therapeutic setting uh, with suicide. And the other person we have here is Lindsay rafson Barringer. She's a suicide prevention advocate. And thank you for being here.
2: Thank you for having AFSP here.
0: Yes. Yes. And we should mention you're with ASFP.
2: AFSP, I'm sorry. American A-F-S-P. Foundation A-F-S-P. for Suicide Prevention.
0: Yes. Uh, and you also have a very personal connection, uh, which we will we will talk about throughout the show as well. So I just want to say thank you to both of you for being here and joining us for this for this conversation.
1: Can I give you guys a uh, you know, before we um, go to our experts and, um, you know, get some perhaps uh, wider perspective, I did just want to share some more statistics with you, if I could. Yeah. um, About the public health crisis that is suicide in the United States. And, um, you know, I said that there's a 25 percent increase nationally, about a 40 percent increase here locally, and that it climbs across age and ethnic groups. It is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. And that means that um, also nearly 45,000 Americans killed themselves in 2016, which, to give you some perspective, is twice the number who died by suicide. Um, and, you know, we can go into it, I'm sure we will, as to um, some of the, the causes and effects and, and ways that public health is trying to approach these things. But I think just from the very beginning, those numbers are alarming and probably very surprising to a lot of our mm-hmm. listeners. They certainly were to me.
0: Jim, as, as a person who interfaces with people daily in a therapeutic setting, um, Are these statistics surprising to you? Are they, you know, are you seeing the impact of this in your office?
3: They they, they're always surprising when you really, when you start to think about that they're growing at rates of you know thirty percent and things like that. And definitely, we are seeing an increase in the intensity of the symptomology that comes into our office throughout all of the therapists that work here. You know, we often talk as a staff that. You know, it seems like people are are struggling at higher rates and at deeper levels uh, than they have been in the past.
0: this is probably I mean, I'm going to ask this question, knowing full well that you don't have the answer to it, and that if there were an answer, we would you know be able to do something different but but you know what is the conversation around why that might
3: be? well i think I think there's a lot of reasons why you know when you think about where does unhappiness come from, you know, for some of us, it's an event gone wrong, or something didn't work out, um, and we'll say things like, "Oh, we, you know, we're bummed out, we're depressed." That makes me depressed, or that movie was depressing. And when you start talking about clinical depression, you know, you're you're talking about somebody whose brain maybe doesn't quite uh, isn't isn't wired necessarily the same, and you have um, ongoing kind of conversations with this part of your brain that that really beats your you up emotionally. And then if you start coupling that with our access to negativity via social media, via the news, you know, we, we can find out any news story by grabbing a smartphone now, and mm-hmm. it's right there, and you get, you get the whole skinny on it. And, and I think that people are just struggling with how, how do I align all of this in my world so I can just live day to day. And, and But you have to remember though that that person with depression is trying to live day to day with just a bombardment of negativity going on in their brain about them their own self.
1: Mm-hmm. Lindsay, if I could, um, you know, I referenced a, a number of facts that I was able to glean from the CDC information. Were there other facts or other things that stick out to you that you think would be helpful for our audience to hear in order to understand the, the scope or the breadth of suicide in, in the United States?
2: Um, I think just knowing, you know, you said it was the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. It's the 8th leading cause of death in Minnesota. Wow. Um, The number two leading cause of death among college students and anyone actually uh, 15 to 34 years old. And so I think people have such a fear of, you know, their child or young adult going out and dying in a car accident. But it maybe doesn't even cross their mind that they're more likely to die by suicide so are they prepared for that? They know not to text and drive and to wear their seatbelt, but have they had those conversations about mental health? You know, to that end, actually, we just received an email from somebody who I, I,
0: I think asks um, a question that addresses sort of what you're saying about the education around it. Um, she simply asked, um, as a parent of young children, how do you discuss this with a child? Who is ten years old in her in her particular situation? Um, You know, we do of course have statistics about younger children and suicide, but but starting a conversation about it at a young age, it seems like it's something we as adults or parents don't want to talk about because we don't want the notion that that is an option to Mm -hmm. be in their minds, right? So, uh, and I would direct that I guess to either of you, Jim or Lindsay. Um, any thoughts you have about w- how to start that conversation?
3: Well, I think when whenever you're gonna going to talk to a child about mental health, you know keep in mind the child's age uh, chronologically and emotionally. you know what's their maturity level and what how do you have to package it so that they understand it? Um, but we see kids much younger than ten suffering from depression in our office. Mm-hmm. And um, certainly, uh they've had thoughts and i've worked with kids who have had self-harm thoughts and you have to be really open and direct and transparent and very empathetic and knowing you know i talked uh, when we talked on friday on the show you know talking about you know caring but caring doesn't necessarily cure the person mm-hmm. so i think sometimes parents are afraid to open up a topic that maybe doesn't have an end um and if you're talking about depression uh, you know, I've, I've battled my depression, I would say, most of my adult life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just something that we need to converse more about in, in a non-shaming way. So when you're talking to kids about it, be honest. Ask questions. If your child's depressed and, you, and you're worried about them due to their sleep disruption or their eating disruption, ask questions if they've considered hurting themselves. Mm-hmm. Seek out where their brain is taking them. Because sometimes, you know, a depressed brain will take a person where they, you know, they don't want to go, but the brain just takes them there.
2: Mm -hmm. Lindsay, do you have any anything to add to that? Um, I think something that we can do to speak to both kids and adults Mm -hmm. is starting from the beginning, just that your brain can get sick, just like your body can get sick. And just making it that straightforward that sometimes you need to see a feelings doctor, sometimes you need to see a a body doctor Mm -hmm. and that. That's just the way it is. And both are okay. Yep.
0: Uh, okay, well, we are going to take a, a little break. But when we come back, uh, what I think we'd like to talk about is let's talk about what the warning signs we see. We've got some questions from listeners that are that are going to um, address some questions around that. With our experts, Jim Keenan and Lindsay Rafson-Barringer, uh, we are talking about the suicide epidemic on a MyTalk Roundtable discussion. We'll be back after this. Hey somebody. This is a My Talk roundtable discussion, the suicide epidemic. Uh, I'm Colleen Lindstrom, Bradley Trainer. We are here guiding you through this discussion with two very wonderful experts. We have Jim Keenan from POR Emotional Wellness. And Lindsay Raffson berringer who's a suicide prevention advocate with AFSP. And um, and I just want to say thank you again to both of you for for being here um, today to have this conversation.
1: Colleen, I know we uh, have some questions from listeners. And thank you guys, by the way. Twitter, email, Facebook. Give us a jingle at 651-641-1071. We'll take more of your calls later in the show. But um, before we get to specific questions, you were sharing a really good statistic that kind of, again, puts things into perspective. We were paying all this attention to celebrities uh, who passed. Of course, we should. But um, there are some greater numbers people should think about as well.
2: Yeah. In addition to the celebrities we lost last week, which is bringing suicide up for everyone, we also lost 859 Americans just last week. Just regular people like us. fifty-nine
1: people in one, in one week. week. Yeah. Yeah. That, that really is a, a helpful way to sort of illustrate the, the breadth of the problem.
0: Absolutely. Because oftentimes, well, and, and it is one of the reasons why my talk has turned our attention to it, right? Because we deal in entertainment news. Uh, and that's why it is, you know, this is why we're having the discussion right now. But again, this is an ongoing discussion uh, that needs to be happening because as you said, 850 people uh last week alone
1: can i um can we ask jim a question yes. from one of our listeners yes. jim if you're willing uh, Kristen on instagram asked this question she said how can we best support someone who may be experiencing depression or suicidal thoughts and what might be some warning signs
3: um i'll take the second part first the warning signs can vary person to person um but <laughs> Excuse me. Typically, you're you're going to see a withdrawal, a social withdrawal. Um, depending on age of person, you might see a sleep uh, disruption. Maybe they're sleeping way more than they ever did, or or maybe they're sleeping less. You might see diet um, changes, um, a lack of joy found in things that used to be joyful or or produce a, a sense of positivity. Um, and you know, in terms of supporting them, it's it's that idea that reach out and acknowledge it. You know, if they're good friends or they're family, you can say things like, I've noticed the change. You seem more quiet. You seem more um, withdrawn from things. I'm, I'm wondering how you're doing. I, I really want to know uh, what's going on inside you. And and be there with empathy and connection. And know that you're going to have to do that repeatedly.
0: You know, um, one of the things that you said, Jim, when we talked to you last week um, was, if If somebody reaches out to you and tells you about the deep pain that they are in and asks for your help that to consider it an honor that they have asked for the help and Absolutely. and and give yourself to that
3: Yes, I think sometimes people get afraid, um, almost like, oh gosh, don't tell me that i'm I'm not equipped to deal with that, you know. I I can talk gardening woes with you or about the bachelorette last night, but, oh, my God, real-life emotions, I'm not equipped, and we are equipped for that. Each one of us has a loving human spirit in us, and depression robs the person of their own. It it, it robs them of their ability to really feel that love from themselves, for themselves, and about who they are. And if someone reaches out to you, they see you as a loving person. And that—that's really what it takes—is—is is giving them a, a sense of unconditional love, a sense of support, and know that they're—they're they're cared about. Um, you know, people who commit suicide, up until that point, they're aware there's people they can call. They're aware there's hotlines and there's friends and family and, and professionals. Um, but at, in those final moments, they don't necessarily believe that they're worth it. Lindsay- so if somebody's—if somebody's reaching out to you. Um, take that as an honor and let them know they are very much
1: worth it. Mm. Absolutely. Lindsay, you're a suicide prevention advocate. So, how how do you interact um with people who are struggling? Are you interacting with the people who are concerned about others? Are you interacting with the people who are concerned about themselves? What what is your role?
2: Well, personally, I've interacted with all of those things or people you just mentioned. Um, as a, a volunteer for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, I'm hopefully most often doing what I can to prevent suicide from happening and um, destigmatizing mental health. But also I've been um, kind of an unfortunately, unfortunately a go-to person for people who have recently lost someone from suicide and they wanna know what do we do next? How can we help? What? How do we help their family? Um, And someone who I've gotten phone calls that of saying, you know, I think that my friend might be suicidal or might be depressed. What do I do? And so, um, you know, we talk a lot about I I think like um, like they were saying that there's numbers you can call that people know that you can reach out. But when someone's depressed, maybe they can't. And so you need to make it your job and trust your gut for you to do the reaching out and to talk to someone and say straightforward. Are you considering suicide? Um, which is a scary thing to say, but it's not as scary as losing your friend or mm-hmm. losing someone you love.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, and this is more of a statement, uh, and both y- you, Jim, and you, Lindsay, um, feel free to react to this. But I've been thinking about how, for example, when um, when I had just had a baby, and I went to my OB, and the OB asked the standard battery of questions, are you experiencing Depression? Are you worried about? Are you having thoughts of hurting your baby? Humans know what answers are going to trigger concern, right? And so oftentimes we do this like sort of gymnastics around what that answer is. Um, And so, so, you know, so much as you want to take somebody at their word, they might not always be upfront about what they're specifically feeling. Do you have any thoughts on how you can kind of go with your gut a little bit more, right? Because like you said, Jim, oftentimes they maybe have had disrupted sleep patterns. They've been withdrawn. Um, How do you kind of, without pushing them away, help draw the real feelings
3: out? Any thoughts on that? Well, I think think using observation and data. You know, if it's a close friend or a family member and you can say, you know, you haven't left your house in two weeks or three weeks. You haven't, you stopped doing this activity that I know you really like. Um, you know, towards, towards, when people start to get, a uh, depressed person starts to get more confident or more comfortable perhaps, maybe is a better word, in their plan for suicide and ending their life, some people will show an kind of an uptake in emotions. And they all of a sudden they're doing a little better. You know, they're being nice. They're 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 comfortable. They found their peace, so to speak, um, and that can throw off people too. But th- you know, when when you don't think somebody's being truthful and totally honest, sometimes we get frustrated and we're kind of like, fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. You you go do you, and we need to not do that. And we need to put on our empathetic hat and say, wait a minute, I, my gut is telling me something different, and come in with an open arms, caring attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, I've worked with families where. It gets frustrating to have a depressed person in your midst all the time because the caregivers start to feel that frustration of not getting helping them get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just need to stay the course and talk about it. It really is about talking about it and, and, and being honest. Um, I think sometimes when professionals ask questions, it scares people that, if well, if I say the truth, then what's going to happen? What system is going to get kicked in? Um, what will I have to do that I maybe don't want to do? Um, so some people are not totally honest with with the answers that's true, that's
0: true, Lindsay, do you have any thoughts uh on that before we take a little break?
2: um I would just say that if someone feels that they that the person they are with is an immediate um crisis and they're concerned, limiting access to means for suicide is important too if it's if it's someone you live with or mm-hmm. you know your loved one or your child, um you know removing any firearms from the house mm-hmm. is just you know just limiting means to suicide mm-hmm. um You know, moving medications, that kind of thing, just so that in that in that moment of desperation, you're making it harder for them. Right.
0: That's good advice. Okay. well, uh, we're going to take another break when we come back. We'd like to talk a little bit more about other questions that our listeners have had. They're coming in over email. They're coming in over Facebook. And if you have any of those questions, 651-641-1071, we'll uh, have our experts answer your questions after this. on uh, The MyTalk Roundtable about the suicide epidemic on MyTalk 1071. This is a MyTalk Roundtable on the suicide epidemic. I'm Colleen Lindstrom, Bradley trainer. Uh, we are guiding you through this discussion with two wonderful experts that we have in the studio. Well, one in studio, one by phone. Uh, Jim Keenan, who is a mental health professional with POR Emotional Wellness. And we also also have Lindsay Rafson-Barringer, who is a... a um, A suicide prevention advocate with AFSP and you know what I do just want to quickly throw out a couple resources right now because we should be doing that uh, as much as possible and and first and foremost the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention which Lindsay works closely with you can find them online at AFSP.org and there is a a abundance of information of of, uh, ways to get help right there on that site Uh, also the national suicide prevention line is 1-800-273-8255 that's 1-800-273-8255 uh and and those are two things that we'll kind of continue to remind you of throughout the show today but bradley you have been sort of our uh you've been pouring over the the statistics that the cdc uh in a report that they they brought out last week and uh, there were some things that you kind of found notable.
1: Well, I think it's important to paint a picture with information, right? So we have a lot of feelings about this issue, and we've talked a lot about them on our show. But I think the the knowledge is really sort of like the first thing you have to look at. There's a lot of misconceptions about suicide. And Lindsay certainly has shed light on some of those numbers as well as Jim. But um, some other just, you know, statistics that I thought we could throw out that for every suicide Um, And again, these come from the CDC for every suicide. There are on average 25 attempts. So there, you know, it it is we see when somebody is uh, completed. Yes. Yes. But um, we don't see necessarily those other attempts, um, which tells you there's a much bigger picture going on. Also, you know, Lindsay, you gave us a number about the number of people in Minnesota, particularly that die. Uh, in a particular period of time. But on average in this country, there are 123 suicides per day. So that's every single day, 365 uh, days a year. And, Lindsay, you also talked about it's important to get people away from things that they can harm themselves with. And the CDC looked at all of the methods that um, are common uh, with suicide. And firearms in 2016 Were actually the most common uh, method of death by suicide, accounting for more than half, that is 51% of all suicides, uh, take place with access to firearms. So we can probably later on talk about access um, when somebody is in crisis uh, specifically. So those are some of the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. But we still um, have a lot of questions that relate to those numbers. And one of the questions that we got from one of our listeners, Barb, she asked this question, and maybe um, maybe let's start with Jim. Jim, how do you get someone help when they've confided in you that they're thinking about taking their own life, but they don't want you to tell anybody else about their trouble?
3: But, well, that's a, that's a common place, and I have been in that place. And, I, and, I, and I, I kindly and gratefully accept that they don't want me to tell anybody, but I also explain to them that that's, As a professional, that's put me in a bad space because I I am a mandated reporter. Mm -hmm. And so I do need to step out. As a friend, um, it's a longer conversation about love and care. And it's about, well, you told me because you didn't want to be alone with it. And this is bigger than the two of us. And we need to reach out and get some support. And I have had people bring their best friend, their sister, their aunt, their whomever, into my office with them. And that is fantastic. You know, offer to go to the help with the person um, the first time or first couple of times, you know, let them know that they told you because they didn't want to hold it by themselves and let them know that it might be something that or is something that is bigger than the two of you. And we need to reach out and get a, a, a bigger team around you.
0: I just want to dovetail on that question because there's an, another listener question. So that kind of talked about being the support person but we have another question from a listener who says what do you do when you feel very suicidal but do not want to reach out because you don't want to be committed to 72 hours for 72 hours or more uh do you have any thoughts on that that you can share
3: i i do um uh i think if you are that person and and i'll share with the audience that that i've been that person i've been real close to that when i was uh, struggling with my, my fight against the church. And we all have our reasons why we're there. And the, the scary part is, is that you got to know you're worth it. You've got to know that you, it, the, telling somebody that you feel like hurting yourself is the, it's the ultimate in that moment of saying to yourself, you're worth it. Mm-hmm. And you have to take the next step. You have to look in the mirror and fight the negative words that your brain is giving your brain. Um, Depressed people have an ongoing, ugly, muddy dialogue with themselves, and they say things to themselves that uh, they don't share with other people, and they, and they believe what they say to themselves, and you have to undo the negative self-talk. Uh, and one quick way to get out of negative self-talk pretty quickly is ask yourself, would you say it to a four-year-old self? The mean thing you just said to yourself, would you say that to your four-year-old self? And most everybody I've ever talked to about that, they look at me with a little bit of surprise and go, "Well, no, I wouldn't talk that mean to a child." Mm-hmm. And the word, the the wounded child inside of us, the wounded person inside of us, is worthy of love.
1: That's wonderful, Jim. Thank you, um, Lindsay. Did you want to double back on on Barb's question about you know um, getting someone help when they've confided in you that they you know they are having issues, but they're not comfortable? Or they don't want you to share that information. How would you tell somebody who's struggling with that?
2: That is a tough place because you want to be a good friend and be someone who others can confide in. But um, you can tell that person that you're with that getting help is the bravest thing that they can do. That that just by telling you know telling their friend that they're struggling that that's super brave. That they're not having to keep that secret anymore. And you know so. Letting them know that that what they're feeling is okay might help you to convince them um and kind of like Jim said, going with them to to receive help is you know as a support person really important um and then last of all, really, just having your friend mad at you is is worse than having them gone, so is not it's as bad. Not. Oh, right, yeah, right, right. Not, right yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> we absolutely. We knew what you meant. Yes.
0: Um, yes. Uh, you know, yes. Uh, I, I, I just lost a thought and I apologize for that. Um, but oh, I know what it was. I think that oftentimes is like a support person. The, your, your internal monologue uh, is so focused on not wanting to say the wrong thing that sometimes the tendency can be to not say enough. Um, is there a wrong thing? I guess would be my question. Is there a wrong thing that somebody can say as a support person when somebody has confide- confided in them?
2: Well, you don't want to try to fix their problem for them. Mm. Um, you don't want to rationalize what they're saying and try to explain to them why they're wrong because that's how they feel. Um, you know, they really feel that low. And you saying, well, I've been really stressed, and one time this happened. That's different. Stress and anxiety are different. Sadness and like clinical depression are two different things. Um, so even if you've maybe been depressed, you could say I've been there with you. But don't try to make a comparison. Um, just being there and honestly listening and doing what they need to to deescalate the situation is, I think, the best thing you can do. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on that?
3: I I would agree um, what what Lindsay just said, and I'd also say that you know it's okay to say to somebody, thank you so much for sharing. This is, you know, I agree. It is the bravest and, and one of the most hard things you can do. And you can say, you know, right now, I, I I, don't I don't know exactly what to say to you, but I can tell you this. I am here. I'm here to listen. I'm here to sit quiet. I'm here to hug you if you need a hug. Um, you know, ask them what, what do they need. You know, maybe they just want to go take a walk with you. Maybe they just needed to know that you were there
1: mm-hmm.
3: and, and, and they don't need anything
1: further. Yeah, absolutely. At that point. And um, Colleen, and I don't know um, how you feel about this, but I feel like we've gotten a few questions regarding people themselves who are struggling. Yes. And um, ways that they're maybe having a difficulty navigating what to do next and where to go and what the resources are. And maybe we can use some of our remaining time this hour, like giving people some of that advice.
0: I think, I, I think I'd think i like to do that. So let's start with this. I, actually, I'm going to put this question out there. Uh, and then I'd like uh, to take a break while the two of you kind of reflect on this. Uh, and when we come back, we'll get to this answer and, and we'll talk about some of those resources. But this listener, Jim and Lindsay, has asked this question. Uh, she, th- she's tried to take her own life multiple times and has been hospitalized as a result. Uh, her family is not supportive of her mental health. Uh, and she says that they don't have time for her mental health issues. How do you deal when your support network is not only not supportive, but actively dismissive? Uh, so I'm going to have, we're going to take a little break. We're all going to kind of reflect on that and, and get the answer to that, and more resources when we come back on this My Talk Roundtable about the suicide epidemic on My Talk one oh seven one. This is a My Talk Roundtable. Uh, I'm Colleen Lindstrom, Bradley Trainer. We are guiding you through this conversation about the suicide epidemic. Uh, this is something that has been very top of mind in the last couple weeks in the entertainment world, but is top of mind for so many and should be uh, for, for so many reasons. Um, we've been reading through some t- statistics uh, that were recently released in a report by the Center for Z- Disease Control and have really learned that suicide is an epidemic, uh, and that the numbers are absolutely staggering, and that these uh, numbers continue to rise and so we have brought in a couple experts, uh, panelists, to talk with us about uh, about suicide and about this epidemic, and kind of start to unpack some of the questions people have. We have Jim Keenan, who is a mental health professional with POR Emotional Wellness. We also have Lindsay Rafson-Barringer, who who is with AFSP, uh, the American Foundation of Suicide for Suicide Prevention, uh, and she also has a personal story that we will hear a little bit about in our next hour. And I want to say thank you to both of you again for for being here with us. Uh, and then I just wanted to get back to that question we asked before the break. We had a caller who said uh, that she has tried to take her life multiple times and has been hospitalized as a result um, and her family is not supportive uh, and they, she says they don't have time for her mental health issues. The question is, how do you deal when your support network is not only not supportive but actively dismissive? Of your own struggles, uh, and I guess I would go first to you, Jim, from a mental health um, perspective. Uh, h- how does a person navigate that?
3: I, you know, unfortunately, this is this is more common than 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 you'd want to believe, and and mental health can be exhausting to those around it who don't feel like they're trained enough to deal with it. So rather than get the training and get the understanding, some people will just pull back. Um, to the to the listener who wrote that. Um, first and foremost, you're worth it. That, that's the thing. You're, you have to understand that you are your, your best advocate right now, and to get the support from the, you know, the people that are around you, you're, you're, if you're seeing a counselor or a therapist, to, to know that they're a support, and to always continue to reach out for support. Um, your family has chosen to take a step back. That does not need to equate to you being alone. Um, you can reach out and get that support from other people because there are those out there in the life in the world that are going to give you that support. Um, and, and hopefully what will happen is that you'll continue to grow within yourself and and change some of the, the ways that you're interacting with the world and find a support system around you um, from other people. Um, unfortunately, there are times where our family's uh, genetic connection, is not enough for them to step up and, and give the support that they should, but that, does not need, that doesn't mean that you don't deserve the support you need. So go out and get that and, and, and absorb it from wherever you can.
1: And to that point, and let's go to Lindsay, you know, um, there are resources, there are people, if your genetic family, as Jim put it, um, or the people around you are not willing or able to help you, that's where somebody like AFSP comes in. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of the the structure that's in place to help those who maybe don't have the support?
2: Sure. There are a lot of resources available to someone who doesn't feel or doesn't have immediate family or friends or a support group. Um, they can go to the AFSP.org website and fi- actually click on Find Help. And there are support groups um, through the Lifeline, through NAMI is um, an additional Excellent, Minnesota resource or national resource, but we have it here in Minnesota for mental health. And That's N A M I for yes. those who are saying, "How do I go about spelling that?" Yes, that's N A M I, right? Um, and they'll get them connected with a mental health pr- professional. There's support groups available so that they can be with like-minded people who might be going through the same struggles as they are, and and who would be supportive if if they're if they don't have that naturally in their life, they can create it. You know, um, we have had
0: a couple of questions about both when there are financial constraints in place and also employers uh, understanding when a person is struggling with a severe mental health issue that could lead to suicide. Um, Any any kind of thoughts or advice either of you have on that when when people are financially not able to maybe seek the help that they need and deserve? And that's a barrier for them or when their uh, employer doesn't necessarily support.
2: With the financial aspect, legally, insurance companies are required by law to cover mental health services the exact same way as they cover physical illness and physical health. Um, And so you can also, on the AFSP website, with that find help, um, there's resources that will connect you to to low cost or, or to someone who can help you. Mm-hmm. it it, it costs nothing for you. yes it yeah. costs nothing to call the lifeline it costs nothing to get connected with a support group jim do you have any um any additional thoughts on that
3: well i think it, i think employers have to be aware that um they they have a legal obligation too it, it falls under you know um medical leave acts and and different things like that and and also i would encourage all employers uh to consider the idea that you hired this person because they brought something to your company and 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 you need to care about the people that help you be successful. So if you have an employee who's struggling with mental health, your best bet as an employer is to support them so that they can continue to be an active member of your team. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, we very specifically got uh, an email from a listener who's talking about a family member of hers who says uh, that... That her, uh, her family member's employer is having, uh, is kind of arguing and fighting with them about getting this person treatment for their own depression. And, uh, the concern is that the employer would fire her for having depression. Any thoughts on the Medical Leave Act or how that covers people?
3: Well, I think that employers is, is putting themselves on sketchy grounds. Um, on a legal standpoint, but they're they're absolutely blowing their moral grounds and moral obligations mm-hmm. to, to be somebody who cares about those that work with them. Uh, Lindsay had mentioned NAMI um, uh, or, or other organizations around town, um, MACMA or, or anything like that. Any of these places can help you find legal aid um, to access some questions about that, and um, but they can, you cannot and it's my understanding and I'm not a lawyer by any means but I do not believe you can fire somebody for mental uh health reasons mm-hmm. and if you and if you're afraid of that um it 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 it's time to seek out some legal counsel on that
2: yeah but, that's good advice oh just absolutely I think Jim's correct you can't fire someone for being in a wheelchair you can't fire them for having depression
0: I think sometimes that is one of the barriers, I think, that gets in people's way of seeking help is assumptions that they may make about how they will be reacted to. Um, And it's uh, and both of you have said that there is support out there in so many different places. And um, I'm so sad that this uh, hour is drawing to a close. And Jim, I know you've got other things uh, that you have to get to, but I want to say thank you so much. Jim Keenan from POR Emotional Wellness. Your voice is always so valuable to us. So thank you for being Thanks, with Jim. us. Thanks,
3: Jim. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. You, you too. as
0: well. Now, we are going to continue our conversation about the suicide epidemic with Lindsay rafson Beringer from AFSP. Um, we're going to get to your personal connection um, when we come back. Uh, in this conversation, this My Talk Roundtable. And
1: more listener callers for, Absolutely. Uh, excuse me, listener questions as well. So keep sending us your questions. Twitter, email, call us at 651 641 1071.
0: And we'll be back with a My Talk Roundtable discussion about the suicide epidemic right here on My Talk 1071.